From the cowardice that dares not face new truth. From the laziness that is contented with half-truth. From the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth. Good Lord, deliver us. Amen. A few months ago, I was rushing into Harris Teeter to pick up a birthday cake for one of my kids' birthday parties. And I went into the Harris Teeter, and it was really crowded, and there was a long line for the grocery store bakery. And I saw in my corner of my eye one of those sample things, you know, one of those capsules that has cubed cheese in it. And I realized I hadn't eaten in all the craziness of getting ready for a kid's birthday party. I hadn't eaten in a while. Now I was frustrated and knew I'd be delayed even more. So I thought, that's it, man. I'm going for that. And I went over to that tray of cubed cheese. And in my hunger and in my haste, I went to get the toothpick, you know, the one you use to stab the cheeses with. And I went, I went for just one. But unfortunately, I sort of tipped the box the toothpicks were in, and they fell on the grocery store floor. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of toothpicks scattered all over the floor. And just so you know, those things travel fast. <laughs> and, and the thing that I did as I stood there feeling quite embarrassed was I did how I often do in those situations. I told myself, someday this will make for a good sermon illustration. <laughs> That'll make me feel better. <laughs> and today is that day. Because as I looked at the text for today, I thought what an appropriate metaphor it gave us for abundance. Because those toothpicks, they had been there the whole time. They were contained in a box. But when you spread them out, they were certainly abundant. There were a number of them, and they were everywhere. And when they were in the contained in the box, you didn't even notice them. But when they were all over the floor, you couldn't help but notice them, and notice me, but notice the situation. And it struck me that abundance is all around us. Abundance is with us. Abundance and plenty and generosity and goodness and greatness, it's all there. It's contained, and it's often overlooked. But something needs to happen. A shift needs to occur. Whether that's someone knocking it over, whether that's a church opening it wide open, whether that's a vision, whether that's an ability, a shift has to occur for this abundance that's contained to be an abundance that explodes and is out of the box and is everywhere. That is the shift that we are calling upon today. That is the way that we are calling upon a, a, a paradigm shift, a new way of thinking, a new way of being, one that moves from a time and a place of scarcity and fear and overlooking that abundance to the one that sees it everywhere. Now, the text from Joel does this very well. You can see this, this shift take place most specifically in its historical context because when you look at the story that this minor prophet and Joel is telling, when you hear Joel hearing, saying the words of God in this place and setting, it's to a people who have undergone a really tough time. Now, depending on how you read it and which biblical commentaries you're reading, that the particularities of that tough, tough time are up for debate. Some say that they had just endured a time of locusts. 
Others said that an army had come and had ravaged the land. Others say it was an army of locusts. So I'm not exactly sure which one it is, but objectively, there had been a time the people were going through where there was devastation, where there was great hunger, where there was great vulnerability and fear. And the words from today are coming and speaking from that time to that people and to us today in that time saying no. This is just a season, that there is another time. There is a time ahead, a time of plenty, a time of abundance. Specifically in the scripture, it says that God promises abundant rain, threshing floors that are full of grain, vats that overflow with wine and oil, and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. It's a shift. The shift occurs in other broader respects as well. The shift is calling to us today. The shift is speaking to us. This is the lectionary assigned text. It is calling us to open our minds and be a people of abundance to make this shift. And as I looked back at kind of the broad themes of Joel and tried to put it into our context, I saw certain shifts occurring. The first one I think it calls us to is a shift in our approach towards time. Now, we often talk about having limited bunny, but we have even more so, I think I hear people talk about having limited time. We try to manage our time. We try to structure our time. We constantly feel that we are losing time. We have this sense that the clock is ticking. We talk about time as money. There's not enough hours in the day. I simply don't have time. And yet the imagery we have in this passage for today is one that opens us up to a whole expanse of time. Interestingly, it's speaking to a people when they're in a tough time, calling them to see a future time, challenging them to broaden their scope of their timeline. It's not to say that what they're experiencing, the hunger and the deprivation and the suffering, not to bemean that or belittle it or minimize it in any way, but simply to say that is an era, that is a chapter, and God's timeline is great and long. In fact, God's timeline is eternal. It is huge. And this is a mere season. The people are called to open wide the understanding of the time. The words of this text even bear witness to this, because these words from Joel are said at this time probably 400-ish BC. And yet these words are heard again in the scripture on the day of Pentecost in the first century when Peter stands up and he quotes these same words and he speaks of visions and dreaming dreams and of plenty and of possibility and of all this happening, these same words are called upon in that later time, hundreds of years later. In that Pentecost, the Spirit has come, that time is now. But it's all not now because we're still here in 2016. So those words are said again and again. What I love is that they're repeated again and again liturgically every year. Every church that speaks and worships and talks about Pentecost talks about Acts 2. That is talking about the words from Joel. It's a built-in way that the church itself offers this refrain to remind us that God's timeline is huge, that God calls us to be a people who dream dreams, who have visions, who wait 
and know that the Spirit will descend on all flesh, that there will be prophecy, that this world is part of God's time. It's this wonderful and beautiful call to make that shift and to let go of our, our, our desire to hold on to time. I was struck yesterday about how relative time might feel. I had in my car two six-year-olds, Charlie, mine, and Sloan Decker, another six-year-old in the church, and I was listening to them banter back and forth about who is older. You know, I mean, these are really important questions when you're that age. And I knew they were both six, and, and Charlie was very insistent, I am older, and I said, Charlie, now, your birthday was May 20th. Sloan, when's your birthday? And she says, June 19th. I said, Char Charlie, that's a month. That is one month. You cannot hoard over her one month. One month is not that much time. Now, those of you who know my youngest child know that he would just not let that go. <laughs> so he immediately counters back to me, and he yells from the back seat, and he's like, no, but mom, one month is four whole weeks. And that's seven plus seven plus seven plus seven whole days. And it occurs to me, one, I'm just going to let it go, but two, that at 38 years of age, a month does not seem like a very long time. But at six years of age, a month can be huge. We're talking about the same length of time, but different perspectives can see it different ways. To me, it seemed small. To him, it seemed large. If we can make that shift, if we can stop seeing time as small and limited and fleeting and short and see time as abundant and big and eternal, couldn't we breathe deeper? Couldn't we stop stressing about all that hasn't happened and open ourselves to those God moments and those opportunities and those encounters? Can't we allow ourselves to laugh and to rest and to relax? knowing we are on God's time, and God's time is meant to be seen as abundant, as big, as great, as glorious, and as good. The vision we get here in Joel is one that is great in an expansive time, but it also struck me that it shows us a very large, expansive look at space. And like time, when it comes to issues of space, we tend to see it as small. We bemoan the size of our car, or our office, or our house, or think how little cell phone storage we have. We think we just don't have enough space, that we are confined, that we are limited, that space is scarce. And yet again, the scripture tells us to push our understanding of space out. I love in particular verse 30. I will show portents in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, the sun to darkness, the moon to blood. Now I know this is language that is um, a kind of the apocalypse. It sounds really awful. But even scripture, they'll say it's like the happy version. Because, there's, because even though there's a sense, there's a sense that this is a good thing. There's a sense that this is God's eternal cosmic scale and that God just doesn't work in little areas. 
God works in huge areas. God's landscapes, God's paintbrush, just knows no end, no boundary. And I love this expansive idea of space, particularly because it just runs contrary to who we are. This reminder that we're always pushing back and thinking we have so little, and God's saying, no, you got so much. It's so big. Just see how big it is. For a few years, my husband had a radio show. Now, it was, I might have been the only listener, but I don't think so. It was a good radio show, and especially it was good because uh, he's a bit of a news junkie, and it put his news knowledge to work in a productive way. And he had this radio show, and he would talk about, it was kind of one of these this days in history, it was how he would start. And then he would give commentary on issues, uh, current event issues, facing the state, and then facing the nation, and then facing the globe. And at the end of the radio show, he would always include something about cosmic news. He would talk about the naming of a new star, or a meteorite shower, or some sort of cosmic activity that was going, coming up. And, and, and I, I enjoyed the content of the show, but I have to say more than anything, I enjoyed the trajectory of the show. Because it reminded me systematically to enlarge my sense of space. That my understanding can often feel so limited when in fact it should be so big because God's pushing it and calling it on that kind of scale. I love that thought. I think it's evident in the fact that most of us when we choose to take vacations, we go to places like the beach or the mountains. Because there's something about putting ourselves in the vastness of space where we see those waves that just go on and on and that water that reaches the horizon. When we see those mountaintops, again, they go on and on and we can't quite tell where the mountains end and the sky begins. There's something about seeing that great expanse that gives us renewal, that reminds us that we are not limited to our work and our knowledge and our homes and our families know that God's scale is huge and that we have this entire great landscape that he offers to us as a virtual playground for us to explore and expand. We're called to make a shift in our thinking of time. We're called to make a shift in our thinking of space. But most importantly, I believe we're called to make a shift in how we look at our resources. Now, I could say money, but I think money is just one part of resources. Resources encompasses so much more. Our gifts, our education, our background, our infrastructures, our inheritance, all of that are our kind of collective resources. And again, like time and like space, when it comes to our resources, we are just so sure that we don't have enough that we need to hold on to what we have, that we need to hold it tight, that it is scarce, it is limited. At any moment, it can be taken away from us, and we become more and more and more fearful. And, and I find it interesting that this word comes to a people who are not actually experiencing a time of plenty and a time of abundance and a time of overflowing vats. No, it's spoken to a people who are experiencing the opposite who most need to hear these words, but also might find these words the most challenging to believe because they're putting their kids to bed hungry. And yet the word says, all shall be satisfied and have enough to eat. How do you make that shift 
in that kind of situation? How can you hold God to God's word in those places and in those seasons? Now, you might think that having a stewardship campaign, a stewardship season in 2016 with our election and all the anxiety might be challenging. But it's nothing compared to leading a church in 2008. 2009, when we, the recession hit, that season there. In particular, I was serving a small membership church, a church that on a good Sunday, I think the church doubled in size when I was there from like 30 to 60, but I tell people it doubled. <laughs> Makes me feel better. But it was a small membership church. It was a um, very family-oriented church. It was in the suburbs of Georgia, and the recession hits, and the economy is slammed, particularly construction, and most of our church congregation had something to do with, with construction. And I remember going out Sunday after Sunday and watching the families, and I knew them all, and I knew their children. I knew their children's dogs and their chickens. Like, in a small church, you know all that. And, and, and I knew them all, and I knew... One by one, it was like being plucked off. I could see them losing their jobs. One Sunday, I went home from church, and I thought about who was there, and I realized over a third of the people worshiping in church that day were recently unemployed. You could just see the collective worry upon their face. You could see the lines on their foreheads. You could see the fathers hovering over their children. You could see the way the older people were holding onto those pension checks. You could just feel it. And I just knew it was a matter of time before they would stop coming to church. I mean, it's not like a larger church. We kind of keep passing the basket. In a small church, they notice when you don't put anything in it. And you can't say, oh, I give online. There was no online option. People notice those things, and I thought, for sure, they're going to stop coming. And I thought, for sure, the church leaders are going to start looking at our budget, which was small, but we still needed to meet it. And I thought, for sure, they're going to look at it, and they're going to say, yeah, we don't really need heat. People can bring their coats, bulletins. Do we really have to have them every Sunday? Like, I could see the discussions, and yet that wasn't the case. Our church attendance actually went up. The sense of tenderness and community and abundance and gifts in that church became stronger and more profound. I remember, in particular, dreading the next Churchill Council meeting when we'd be going through the numbers, and, and the conversation shifted entirely. I walked into that room, and we, we named what was going on. We named the situation. And then people started to say, well, what can we do about this? And instead, as I predicted, the pastor predicts that the bulletins will be cut or the heat be cut. I mean, it's amazing. Even the pastor goes immediately to scarcity. Instead of even having that kind of discussion, you know what they did? One of the church leaders said, you know, I work for a meat packaging plant. And they don't always package the meat correctly. And so there's a lot of meat that's perfectly good meat that gets thrown away. I'd be happy to talk to the company about donating that to us. And somebody else said, I have a large commercial size cooler. I think, I think freezer thing. I think, I think we could bring that up to the church. And you know that basement downstairs that no one goes to? We can, we can make that into like a makeshift food pantry. And somebody else said, sure, I'll get a bunch of guys up here and we can build some shelves. And it happened. It was a beautiful thing of abundance. And within just a few weeks, we saw people coming to worship, and they would bring with them sacks of food and toilet paper and diapers, whatever they had, they'd bring it and leave it in the back of the church. And when the ushers did the collection, they'd run downstairs to the basement and stock the shelves. 
And then at the close of the worship, discreetly so that parents didn't have to do it in front of their kids, you'd see them funnel in the basement doors, get what they needed, and go back to their cars. Now I'm a little nervous about this being recorded because we never got like a license to do this. <laughs> but it was abundance. It was abundance in a season where the church could so easily have given to the words and the rhetoric of the world and bought into scarcity. And that is the shift that we are called to make. For I believe truly and completely, and I wouldn't be here today if I didn't feel that Soapstone has called each and every one of you here so that you can not only give witness to abundance, but you can be part of it. You can celebrate when the rest of the world is bemoaning its time, its lack of space, its lack of resources, you can say, you know, I'm part of a church where we don't experience that. We don't see that because you know what? Our old men dream dreams. And everyone has visions. And we see with apparatuses that are brought up in skits, we see beyond, we have abundance on our hearts and our minds. We have made that shift that the prophet Joel is calling us to. When he was speaking hundreds and hundreds of years ago, he was speaking to us today, saying he knew we could be an abundant people. He knew we could have abundant hearts. He knew we could give abundantly. We could be abundant. We could be the church and the people God has called us to be. It is a gift to serve this church. It is a gift to know the resources that are here. It's a gift to hear the music, to see the children, to be part of this community, to have the prayer requests said and prayed over again and again. There are so much abundance, and we are called to make the shift to see it. Like those little toothpicks in the box that we never think of. Believe me, I think of them all the time when I see them now. Reminds me of a friend who had a similar thing happen. Friend, childhood friend, she's Baptist. I am friends with Baptists, so I want that noted. She's Baptist, and she was handing out bulletins in her church one Sunday. And as Baptists often do in that particular sanctuary, there was a large baptismal near the doors where she was handing out and greeting bulletins. And I guess for whatever reason, you know, there was a lull in people coming in. She just sort of absentmindedly put all the bulletins down there on the wall of the baptismal, leaned up against it, and all those baptismals, I mean, all those bulletins went floating in the pool of the baptismal. Now, I know we're Methodists, but it was a large pool of water, and here are all the church bulletins floating in it. People come into the church, and what do you do? She was mortified. But for me, it was a fantastic image an image of God's word and God's community and God's worship spread out, abundant, everywhere, evident to everyone who came into the church that we're not about confining it, we're not about controlling, we're not about holding it in, we're about letting it go. We're about a church abundant. We're about a church that is full and godly and God-sized. Imagine that. Glory to God. Amen. Let us stand now.